0: This week's episode is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel, the official travel agency of Communicore Weekly. Be sure to email Communicore Weekly at FairyGodmotherTravel.com to book your vacation today. Again, visit FairyGodmotherTravel.com Communicore Weekly!
1: Bobble boats and Five Communicore Weekly! You might get some free!
0: Welcome to Season 3! Hello, and welcome to CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I am Jeff. And George, guess what happened last week?
1: Um, the world didn't blow up. It didn't, which is always a good sign for everyone, <laughs> including us. <laughs> but, we did win
0: Two Dizzy Awards. That's right. And I was surprised I didn't have to spin around as much as I thought I was going to have to. I thought I was going to
1: fall out of my chair after (laughs) spinning around so much or running around the bases after putting my head on the baseball bat and spinning in a circle. Which I've never done that because I'm afraid I'll just look like an idiot. Oh, I'm clearly not afraid of that. Anyway, (laughs) but thank you to our peers that nominated us and made us win. We won for Best Production and Most Engaging Fan Experience. And, uh, you know, as much work as we put into the show and as happy as we are for Best Production, we really do appreciate it. I think the Most Engaging Fan Experience one to me, means a little more because obviously you guys are important to us and we like talking to you, and we like interacting with you. And in, if you haven't noticed the last couple of you know, weeks on the show, we've been including more and more fans of, of the show, That's more true. cadets. Um, That's true. So we, we
0: consider it a long engagement.
1: Yes, a very long engagement that you guys yes. are not going to get out of. Our parents already <laughs> booked the engagement party for all of us, so you're kind of stuck with us now. But seriously, uh, I, I think I speak for Georgia myself when yes. I say thank you for... We're both Dizzy Awards, uh, even if I did fall out of my chair because I was very dizzy. <laughs> um, and, and if you don't know what the Dizzies are, it was the Disney Podcast Awards. And, again, we won for Best Production and Most Engaging Fan Experience because of you guys. So <laughs> thanks, guys. We love you.
0: It's the 50th anniversary of the 64 World's Fair and the 49th anniversary of the 1965 part. <laughs>
1: While Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln was unveiled at the 1964-1965 New York World's Fair, it had its early beginnings at Disneyland. Why? Well, because Walt Disney was a proud American, obviously. He really loved the history of our nation and he often felt that people should recognize the the influence of historical events that helped found our nation and that they were kind of fundamental to our nation's future on top of that. And he was always looking for new ways to help people become more aware of of history's lessons and its significance.
0: And as early as 1956, Walt was discussing the idea of how an historical show for Disneyland, you know, at the time Liberty Street was announced as an add on to Main Street, and a proposed attraction was a Hall of Presidents, which, since it was a time before audio animatronics, would have included mannequins in a diorama. By 1958, Walt looked to James Alger, a director for Disney's True Life Adventure series, to begin research for an attraction called One Nation Under God. The attraction itself was proposed as a
1: five-screen wraparound show, covering just over 180 degrees, uh, showing artwork and having a a voiceover narration. And the show would start with the American Revolution and go up to the Civil War. And Walt wanted to have two sides of the screen fight each other, you know, have Confederates on one side, and the Union on the other side, and the audience stuck in the middle of the battle. (laughs) So, it was kind of, you know, innovative for the time, you know, surround sound would kind of make them feel like they were really in the middle of it with cannons firing from both sides. Um, But when that part of the show ended, guests would be invited into the next room where the so-called Hall of Presidents was featuring all of the presidents, with a few of them speaking, but with the main focus being on Abraham Lincoln.
0: And how would they get to the next one? By going up the waterfall. Wait, what? (laughs) I'm thinking of the ending for Pirates. Oh. Oh. If they go into the next room with all the cannons, of pirate people fire? yeah i'd go there i'd watch that me too oh well but we need to move on okay so the project got so far along that historian Brainerd dyer a uh, professor of history at ucla was brought in to help with the script and uh, a finished script for the entire show was completed uh with uh completely with a model of the attraction itself a presentation was prepared by the Imagineers, showing off the entire show with interludes by Walt and James Alger to present to investors. Though it was impressive, unfortunately no company uh, would be able to invest the large amount of money needed in order to make the attraction a reality. You sounded kind of confused there. You weren't really, though no, it yeah, was like, impressive, yeah, but, you maybe? Know. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Just adding a little editorial comment. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so when the 1964 World's Fair was being developed, Walt kind of saw this as his chance to find a sponsor for the show. But since audio animatronics were on his mind now, he knew to ha- he had to have one complete, like one complete audio animatronic <laughs> to really show off to the sponsors in order to wow them and really convince them that the show was a good idea. And so he had Blaine Gibson uh, begin to work on sculpting him. And Blaine actually bought a life mask of Lincoln uh, from a wax museum, and he exaggerated the features a little bit to make him more like the Lincoln we know uh, through stories and everything. And he also made the figure a few inches taller in order to show off his his actual height, Uh, because in all photos of Lincoln, he's usually standing next to someone, and that's how you can tell he's so tall, but when he's (laughs) by himself, you need to make him taller to really show that off. And uh, finally, he actually took casts of Imagineer Jack Fergus's hands uh, because they were about the same size that would actually match up to the figure.
0: Yeah. Now next up was figuring out the skin. So latex, they found, would crumble after three to six months of just sitting there. And since the figure would be making repeated movements for two years, they needed something stronger. They came across Duraflex, a material that would last much, much longer. Uh, a mold was made for the figure to make the fiberglass body, and then the rest of his features were needed. Eyebrows, beard, and so on. Jack Fergus's wife, a registered nurse, got them false teeth, and a set of eyeballs had to be specially made for the figure. Fake eyeballs. not Not real eyeballs <laughs> had to be made.
1: That would be creepy. So, aside from just his devastatingly handsome good looks, Lincoln had to be able to move, too. And that's where the audio animatronics came in. You know, the, the life of audio animatronics it began way back in the 1950s when Walt developed uh, Project Little Man, which is a small dancing man that Roger Brogy had built for him. And at the time, Brogy told Walt that they were kind of limited by the figure size because it was so small, and if it was larger, they can actually hide all the, the mechanisms that made it move inside of it. And so, Brogy kinda got his wish with, uh, with Mr. Lincoln. A full-size figure that had to walk and talk like a human being, and can fit all the mechanics inside of it
0: that they ever wanted. So, just before Lincoln, uh, Walt came up with an idea to have a Chinese restaurant in the park with a mechanical Confucius character talking to guests. Uh, A lot of the work and research done for that project went directly into Lincoln. Lincoln's process began in the animation department, with Mark Davis and others working out his movements. Then it went to Blaine Gibson for the proportions needed for the sculpt, and finally to the machine shop so they could actually figure out how to do it. The, the most important part of the figure, though, was the head, which, uh,
1: obviously, that's where all the words come out, so that needed to be done first. Um, and it took, you know, over a year to get it right. Uh, Jack Gladys, he, he worked on it closely with Walt, trying to make it move exactly as he wanted it. And all the mechanism that made the head do all of its movements, uh, minus the power source itself, they actually were confined entirely in the head itself, which was, you know, a technical feat for the time period. And the first version of the head was so realistic that it actually scared a janitor who came in late at night who had to clean the room. And he swore he wasn't going to come back in until that head was gone.
0: Which is why I don't keep my spare Lincoln heads in the house. Me neither. Scares the kids. And the dogs. And mostly the dogs. And mostly the dogs. Okay, well, Walt got a little nervous since it took a year to do the head alone and not much work was done on the body itself. So production then went into full swing to get it done to show potential sponsors. Jack Gladish devised a system using a moviola, a vertical movie editing machine, to actually run the animations the Lincoln figure would do. Two moviolas were used, one for the head alone and one for the rest of his body. The system was crude and temporary, but it worked for what they needed to show investors.
1: Now, by this time, Walt had moved the entire project into the quote-unquote Lincoln Room, which was a 40 foot by 20 foot room that contained literally everything. Uh, So this was so the work wouldn't interrupt anyone else and to kind of calm down the unions who had been lurking around them and to keep it away from prying eyes. Um, But by 1963, Walt called in Bob Gurr and told him he wanted the figure to weigh half as much as it did, but do twice as many movements. So Bob, uh, who was using knowledge from glider club he was in he worked hard on finding some lightweight parts for the figure and in only 90 days they made huge technical leaps with what they were doing
0: it it amazes me how many stories end up with walt saying i wanted to do twice as much yeah
1: i want to do 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 this
0: do it and then they actually did it and they actually do it pretty impressive so okay well by early 1964 the lincoln figure could do far more than they could ever have hoped for. Gladish recalled that he could pick up an egg, put his hands behind his back, and much more. Now I can just see a good guessing game Which hand is the egg in? Um. (laughs) Can he make me an omelet, too? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think he could. Um, However, the show would never need some of these motions, so they were eliminated. During all this, Walt was still bringing sponsors in, showing them the model of the proposed Disneyland show, and then to the secret Lincoln Room in hopes of finding a sponsor. Sometimes, he even had one of his Imagineers control the figure via a joystick, so he would greet the potential sponsors with a handshake as they walked in. Now, personally, I would find that a little creepy,
1: that a mechanical yep. robot would be like, Hey guys, handshake!
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, it, w- it wouldn't be so bad if he did a
1: fist bump. That's true, a fist bump would be much more friendly to a me. Little bit better. Yeah. So one of these demonstrations was actually done in 1962 for Robert Moses. Uh, And if you remember, he was the president of the 1964-1965 New York World's Fair. And after Moses actually shook Lincoln's hand, he was so impressed with it that he swore he would not open the fair unless this exhibit was a part of it. And so he went off to help Walt find a sponsor for the full Hall of Presidents show. And you know, Walt told him how costly it would be. And so Robert went to the
0: only people he can think of that had that type of money. The United States government. Hmm. Yeah, Moses went directly to the then Under Secretary of Commerce, Franklin D. Roosevelt Jr. He sent officials out to Burbank to view the presentation, who returned to Washington D.C. with favorable opinions on it. However, the government told Moses that Walt told Moses and Walt that while the show would be great, it was too costly. Working out the terms, it would have cost about three to four million for the entire pavilion, and just a few months earlier, the government approved 15 million for a pavilion. So why did they claim the cost was the reason, even though they had more than enough allotted for it? Now, more than likely, it was the fact that many
1: of these elected officials just they didn't understand what Walt was doing. Most had never been to Disneyland before, which total shocker, um, <laughs> and they even saw Walt as nothing more than like a. A carnival barker so the the thought of these talking dolls representing the presidents seemed uh, kind of disrespectful to them and so they didn't want to put it into his hands Um, but Moses persisted however and even got government officials higher up the food chain to visit the presentation and they lowered the price closer to two million dollars unfortunately they still declined um, but luckily Moses and Disney were pursuing other sponsors at the time as well
0: and Walt was getting concerned because by 1963, they still hadn't found a sponsor. Moses was not giving up and continued to encourage Disney to work on the audio-animatronic technology. Walt decided to scale the show back further and have it only feature Lincoln as opposed to all 34 presidents up until that time. So they devised a show around just Lincoln and began to show sponsors. Once a sponsor was Coca-Cola, which, unfortunately, the chairman of the time didn't like since he, and I quote, Didn't much care for Lincoln and what he did. Uh, Read between the lines
1: of that one, folks. (laughs) Nothing against Coca-Cola, but come on, Chairman. Let's (laughs) get with the 20th century these days. Um, So it was looking more and more likely that Mr. Lincoln, unfortunately, would not be in attendance at the fair. Uh, That is, until the state of Illinois was approached. Um, And the pairing of the two was pretty much a match made in heaven. When Illinois decided to participate in the fair, it was decided that the land of Lincoln was to be their theme. So it kind of really worked out nicely. Uh, The governor of Illinois, Otto Kerner, and uh, Lincoln scholar, Ralph Newman, they actually came to WED to view the presentation and the figure and were completely blown away
0: by it. And by the end of the show,
1: they were totally ready to invest in
0: it. So despite their wanting to use it, negotiations dragged on for months. The budget the state of Illinois had allotted, $1 million, was not enough. (laughs) $1 (laughs) million. Sorry. No, that's okay. It was good timing. Uh, So the, the budget, $1 million, was not enough. WED agreed to some concessions to make it easier. First they agreed to include all maintenance operation and operation costs in the fee and divided the cost into two years so it wasn't one lump sum. That helped, but still wasn't enough. On top of the regular fare fees that Moses was imposing on pavilions, Illinois still wouldn't have enough money. But when Disney and Illinois asked Moses to waive his fees, he agreed because he wanted Lincoln in the fair that badly. Though it took over a year and a half, Lincoln finally had a sponsor and a home at the fair.
1: Now, in our next episode, 135, we'll continue our look at Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln and how they developed the show itself along with the rest of the Illinois Pavilion and some of the problems that they had before the show actually opened for
0: the fair. Yeah, so uh, please feel free to give us a call on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628 and leave us a comment. Tell us what you think about how Mr. Lincoln got to the fair. Once again, it's 424 424- 785 4628 424 785 GOAT. He's a nurse, he's a geek, geek. but we all like to
1: hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. Ah! It's George's Book of the Week.
0: The Beast Within A Tale of Beauty's Prince by Serena Valentino. Okay, so this is not your regular Disney book. And I sort of thought with, you know, The Beast Within, it's like their new exercise book. It's like, you know, how you can control The Beast Within. And well, never mind. No, um, I kind of want to see where you're going with that one. Okay. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, that or, you know, it's the opposite of customer service. So. Fair enough. Okay, Fair enough. So, so The Beast Within is a teen book that shares the supposed backstory of the prince that is transformed into The Beast from the 1991 animated film Beauty and the Beast.
1: Now, this isn't Serena's first rodeo when it comes to (laughs) backstories of famous Disney characters. Um, She also wrote, fairest of all, A Tale of the Wicked Queen back in 2009 about the Queen uh, from Snow White. And, uh, you know, both books fill in the gaps before and sometimes during the famous Disney films to give us a more complete picture of these characters. Um, but while fairest of all was good in regards to respecting the source material, the bees within sort of um, flounders a little bit, <laughs> even though it's not about the Little Mermaid. but I was going to say, yeah, you should use.
0: maybe Bumbles. Uh well, sure. it's not about bees. I was trying to come up with a bee, something I, to a I got I got nothing. Uh, Okay, well, anyway, so, you know, when when this one showed up rather unexpectedly for both of us, you know, I was kind of looking forward to it. I've always had questions about the timeline for Beauty and the Beast. I know, stop laughing, stop snickering. You know, according to the film, he had to find true love by his 21st birthday. Well, you know, and even according to the film, he'd been a beast for a long time, meaning he had to have been turned by the time he was 15 or so, you know? So uh, before I get all timey-wimey, you know, I'm just wondering. It, anyways, hoping that this book was going to shed some light so, onto the backstory.
1: Yeah. Uh, basically, he had to have been a terrible kid. He was a rotten kid, that's for sure. <laughs> um, because that's the only way you get turned into a beast at that, old, that young and have to find true love by that time. Um, mm-hmm. But essentially, the book totally reconfigures some of the movie's story. Um, and it turns out that the witch that cursed him in the beginning of the film, was actually an ex-girlfriend that he jilted when he found out that she was poor. Um, And said ex-girlfriend also has three evil witch sisters as well who torment him throughout the novel when the ex-girlfriend isn't around and isn't looking. Um, And these witches also turn his various uh, staff into household objects, as you know from the film. Um, but even though in the film, Bell can see them talk and gallivant and sing, he never does in the book, um, which is weird because he can't see them do that
0: in the movie,
1: but he yeah, just feels sh- like a candle is following him.
0: Yeah, he, he would see a candle go by, and it's like, a was like, what? Yeah, he would, what he was would that? hear
1: a movement, and he would turn, and a candle would be sitting there, and that would be it. Um, I was like, okay. Here, here's a big one, guys. Him and Gaston... Total BFFs
0: before any of this happened. Okay, can you see how confusing this is now? Yeah, yeah. You know, Serena's a good writer. Um, she she can tell a good story, but I'm really wondering, you know, if she was sort of hamstrung by Disney or someone at Disney, and they proposed the story and it had to have you know certain features. The the storyline of Gaston and Beast, you know, when he was the prince being besties, was really weird considering how they fought in the film. And there's sort of a little bit of, you know, of course, Gaston doesn't recognize him as the beast. But But there was some magic at play there, too, right? Yeah, something weird. And that story about the girlfriend that the prince really could have loved, but Gaston turns the prince against her because she was poor. Sure. Let's (laughs) Let's just go with it.
1: So. I'm like, you just gave up on that one. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I was like, whatever. <laughs> so, you know, like I mentioned earlier, though, I really loved her book about the Wicked Queen. Um, so I was kind of confused as this one so- kind of seemed to make no sense. A lot of things just kind of seemed out of character for the Beast that that we knew from the film. And e- even if it was filling in the gaps, it just seemed really bizarre. Uh, really, the fact that Gaston and Beast were friends, and then a spell made them forget that, and then, you know, they fight in the movie, it just seems really <laughs> out of place and odd to me. Um, I, I have really high hopes for this one, and it just seemed to be all over the place for most of the book, and it really hindered me from enjoying it. Um, and you know, maybe George is right, maybe she had certain restrictions what she could and could not write, but the story this time around just didn't, d- didn't do it for me.
0: Yeah. You know, we almost always try and at least find an audience for every book we recommend. Um, and even if it's not one for theme park nerds like us, you know, like this book. But this one's so uneven that I I, I even wonder if diehard Beauty and the Beast fans would enjoy the titles or, you know, the teens that it's obviously geared towards would enjoy it. Um, you know, it seems like a harsh thing to say, but it really was an odd storyline to go along with such an amazing film.
1: Yeah. You know? I mean... If you're really super duper uh, don't have anything to do tomorrow and want to know about the Beast's backstory, then by all means, give it a read. However, I, I really feel like it takes away from the beauty of the film, no pun intended, um, <laughs> just a little bit. And if anything, read uh, Fares of All instead, because I think that one's fantastic.
0: Yeah, so this week's book was The Beast Within, A Tale of Beauty's Prince by Serena Valentino. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat.
1: <laughs> Take a few minutes the next time you're exiting the Hall of Presidents at the Magic Kingdom, and you might see a pretty amazing five-legged goat.
0: Yeah, so on a tour of the Magic Kingdom that I had with Foxfur from Passport to Dreams, she pointed out a small painting that was hanging between the exit doors. We stopped for a few moments and let the throngs of people pass us by. And when we had a moment to gaze at the small portrait of Benjamin Franklin, she dropped the bomb on me. A truth bomb, if you will. (laughs) Now, besides
1: being one of the few portraits left in the hall after a 2000 uh, renovation, it apparently has a pretty fantastic lineage. Now, according to a few inside sources, we can't tell you, otherwise we'd have to kill you. This mm-hmm. actual painting of Benjamin Franklin was done by none other than Mark Davis, artist and Imagineer
0: extraordinaire. And there it is, just hanging in a theme yeah. park. That's the hardest. I mean, they did a lot of pre-concept artwork was throughout the Magic Kingdom in the early years, but it was like photographs that were then put on wood paneling. This yeah. is an actual painting. A legit it's painting. it's there, and it's there. It's too legit. It's too legit to quit. Hey, hey. <laughs> no? no that's okay. I, I, okay I saw we were going with it I just realized I probably shouldn't and couldn't follow that up I just wanted to make make
1: sure our listeners get that reference and if not <laughs> you should YouTube MC Hammer "Too legit to quit and the two in that or they're, they're the number twos because he's he's cool and hip anyway yes yes
0: anyway. like Prince he's the only people that uh, Weird Al will let use numbers yes exactly as opposed to others exactly so yeah the next time you're at the magic kingdom check out that nice little five-legged goat and guys thank you so much for making it to the end of another episode with us thank you so much we know it's a chore
1: (laughs) (laughs) it is for us sometimes too (laughs) be sure to leave us a comment and give us a rating on itunes
0: yes we had somebody uh send us a a photo of an eight star rating the other day thank you steve i appreciate that photo good sir Yes, that was pretty fantastic. And you can um, email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com.
1: And, of course, like us on the Facebook on facebook.com slash Weekly. I'm still not giving up on our theme days, guys. I'm still <laughs> going strong. People are going to an- keep submitting stuff. I'm going to keep posting them. Yep, so we check may them have some out.
0: New ones coming up for Saturdays, right? Or Sundays, maybe? Uh,
1: we, we had some ideas. I'm not going gotcha. to mention from who, Celeste, but <laughs> we had some ideas. <laughs> Still waiting on some photos,
0: though. Okay, so in addition to following us on, or liking us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imagineerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbach. And, of
1: course, give us a call, leave us a message on the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. We got a couple of calls the last uh, couple of days from the last episode. Um, Really good stuff, so continue leaving messages, and we will have a mailbag episode soon yay i like the mailbags those are fun heck yes
0: and uh speaking of music bags nah Uh, can't make that segue not that good there is you can still grab a copy of *Communicore weekly the musical on amazon cd baby itunes and listen to it for free on spotify and find out what happened to the squirrels
1: heck yes And finally, please visit us on commuterquility.com. Click on the store button. Buy some of our amazing shirts. We actually sold uh, a handful of the Ghost Whistle shirts, which is pretty great. Um, So I hope you guys enjoy them. I hope you guys, other people who have not had them yet, please buy them. It's a great design by uh, Jeff Delgado. And uh, Jeff, your check is in the mail.
0: (laughs) That's what we tell everybody. Um, (laughs) Well... uh for, for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so
1: much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show.
0: Done.